with a track called Stop Me If You Think You've Heard This One Before from the album Strange Ways. Here we come. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again. Hopefully I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should. Or, as always, I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop. And this week's special guest is going to be Anne Marley Davis from The Field Mice and also from the Northern Picture Library. So I'm going to bring you that interview in three easy-to-digest little segments towards the latter half of the show. But to kick off the programme, I thought we should start with your favourite and my favourite. Yes, this is Emma's House from The Field Mice. Five to six, that's 
That was the Northern Picture Library, the track called Paris, and that came out on Sarah Records back in 1994. Slightly melancholic beauty. I was just having a bit of a um, Proustian flashback to those days when we used to watch all those deep and meaningful films like Betty Blue and all those kind of um, rather arty films and uh, get all nostal- well, sort of angst ridden as you did back in the 80s. Anyway, before that, we had The Field Mice and the track called Emma's House, and that was also a seven-inch single that came out on Sarah's Records, and it was also on a compilation called Where Do You Learn to Kiss Like That? Hello, this is David Eastall and The C86 Show, as always, playing the finest in indie pop, and this week's special guest is Anne-Marie Davis, who was also um, the singer in The Field Mice and also the Northern Picture Library. I caught up with her a few months ago. I had a bit of a back catalogue, but anyway, I've caught up. No, I haven't caught up at all. I'm struggling, but I have um, managed to get that one in the bag and I've got it for the latter half of the show. So uh, do prepare for that because it's a fantastic interview and what a vocalist. Anyway, this is Aberdeen and the track called Sink or Float.
hold you And I love the way it feels when you place Your arms around me Because of you I have no one both Happiness and heartbreak you always have to leave Always have to leave And I can't promise you Something you want me to Beaches and parks Shade of a tree Hot days and hot nights I've held your hand And I've watched you sleep in your arms I have cried There never is much time between Hello and goodbye You always have to leave You always have to leave And I can't promise you Something you want me to But I do not believe But I don't believe the field mice and the track called between hello and goodbye and before that we had Aberdeen and the track called sink or float <laughs> I just realized um I remember that from the uh, Buffy Baff, Buffy the Vampire Slayer soundtrack I have to confess here on air that um, I was a huge Buffy fan back in the day so uh, there you go that always makes me smile just thinking about it and also if I had been really together I would have played a track probably by Amy Mann because I always remember when she turned up at one of their sort of uh, punky nights this is Buffy I'm just basically talking to myself anyway this is David Eastall on the C86 show and uh, if you want to contact me you can via email no Twitter or Facebook just go to at C86 show and I'll be there just lurking as I often do at parties. Anyway, uh, this week's special guest, it's Anne-Marie Davis and she was the vocalist with the Field Mice and also with the Northern Picture Library. So I'll be bringing that interview towards the latter half of the show. It's quite a long one so I won't sort of um, sort of shuffle it towards the end just in case it gets cut off. So I'll be bringing it quite soon. It's all very exciting and uh, quite gripping. I just listened to it again and frankly Yes, it was uh, made me think about life, love and poetry. Anyway, thinking of exciting things, this is Tori Amos and a track called Rattlesnakes. Who wrote it originally? Actually, that's such an easy question. Hey, on account of those rattlesnakes 
indeed, that was rock and roll. That was The Field Mice, in fact, and the track called Sensitive. And let's face it, if you're into indie pop, you probably were very sensitive. And that was from the album Coastal. And before that, we had Tori Amos and the track that came out um, on an album of covers. That was Rattlesnakes, obviously done originally by Lloyd Cole and The Commotion. So yeehaw, and I do believe they're coming and touring very soon and might be even in Norwich in the next couple of months. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show bring you the finest in indie pop. Now, I just realised the time is ticking on and I need to play the first part of my interview. Not just need, but I want to. This is with Anne-Mari Davis from the Field Mice and also the Northern Picture Library. And this is the uh, fascinating question I asked her about the beginning. Where did it all start? Take it away. I started off in the Field Mice. I was so lucky. I was a Field Mice fan. Um, I was a Sarah Records fan. And I was particularly a Field Mice fan after the single If You Need Someone came out. Um, it very much appealed to me as a, you know, a sixth former sat in my room. Um, and um, and I was, oh, you know, I mean, I've played guitar since I was six years old or something. And I'd always just messed around with friends. Um, but then somebody heard that the film I were looking for a female singer suggested that I sent them a tape. So I sent them a tape and it was really, really lovely and simple. They sent me a lovely letter back saying, brilliant. Let's meet you when we, when we come to Manchester next time. And if all goes well, we're going to Japan next month. And so I just went from, yeah, um, from nothing, just being a fan and, and being a bit, I don't know. I don't even know why I sent the tape off. Why did I ever think that they would, that they would be interested, but I did. And and very, very nicely, I ended up joining the band um, at the same time as Mark, the drummer. So they they'd obviously, I mean, um, Bobby and Michael met at school mm. and they'd been recording for some time. Um, and then Harvey, um, another sunny day, Harvey joined the band. Um, and then, you know, then Mark and I did and then we became the five piece. So I think there was quite a big difference from the early stuff that Bobby and Michael were doing just because of the, the breadth of instruments we had and the, the sound we were able to make because it, it was really just them and a drum machine at that point, you know. So um, I know the sound changed a lot at that point. Um, so maybe a bit like the Bob Dylan electric moment. Not everybody liked it, <laughs> but uh, but it did, you know, it, it, it energised, as far as I, I understand it, it did energise the band quite a lot. So, yes. yes really really lucky just really really lucky that that I just on a mad moment sent off a tape and and that was it fantastic because obviously the thing that I've really noticed in these interviews with the bands from this particular decade and probably elsewhere is there is a sort of a interesting four to five year five year narrative isn't there the sort of getting together making the sound doing the album or, or getting the John Peel single played and then doing the session mm-hmm. with John Peel, doing the album, and then sort of about four to five years and the second album. Or, and, and if anyone ever did an American tour, it seems to be the sort of kiss of death, really. Yeah, so so, <laughs> so yes. with, with uh, the Field Mice, again, you, you sort of comfortably tack in, um, sort of go into the four-year period. So how did the, you know, obviously you came in when the band had been going for a bit. So what was, what was the dynamic like during that period? Yeah, no, it was quite interesting. I mean, Bobby and I became in a relationship within, you know, a, a year of me being in the band, which I think in, you know, now with my older, wiser self, I can really see how that also changed the dynamics because, you know, Bobby and Michael were very close, continued to be very close now. You know, they it, it, it didn't completely blow everything apart, but I think it did, it did change things. Um, 
and I think there was this this element that I mean I don't know about the other bands but for us there was always a feeling where we're going to implode at some point it never never really <laughs> felt like like there was a long-term view although I would say Mark probably really wants to give up his job desperately and become a full-time musician right but um but I'm not sure that it was it was on everybody else's cards to to do that really um and there was always a I think maybe particularly in this industry, in in this genre of the industry, I'm not sure, but there was a kind of vulnerability about everybody. We were all very sensitive. We were all really in touch with our emotions. I mean, that can only, that can only spell, um, yeah, implosion. Really, I think <laughs> at some at some point. Um, and and we weren't career driven. We will do what it takes to get big. We will we will change our image. We will change our sound. It, it just wasn't that. It wasn't the world that we were that we were living in yes. and it wasn't what we were what we were at at all so yeah there's tensions you know you're you're playing you're playing gigs you're doing tours where you get three hours sleep a night on somebody's floor usually and then you're driving for eight hours to the next venue and you know everything's just just very um done on it's really done on a shoestring and you're knackered and you start to squabble and fall out and then because of we're all so sensitive that becomes much bigger than it perhaps could be in terms of being managed so I mean you know we are fortunately we're all still friends at the end of it all but there was a time when yes you know you've got artistic temperaments and you've got you've got you know we it's young as well people are young and broke and you know when you look back on it it kind of seems obvious that that it has a an, an end point that that's not sustainable really for anybody to do yes. but um but at the same time it was it was so exciting and so much fun um the other thing is as well which I think is fairly well documented so I don't mind talking about it but I developed a, a bit of an anxiety problem whilst I was in the final months of being in the band um it actually started after I, we were doing a French tour and I went on stage um, or didn't go on stage, should we say, in Paris, because I was I was very unwell. And at the time, I mean, I probably ate something that I disagreed with me. But for whatever reason, coupled with all the tensions and the tiredness and everything else, I never really managed to get on stage again without being very ill. So it got into my brain somehow. And then that developed into a bigger anxiety problem, which is probably very, fairly boring for anybody else to listen to. So, but it, you know, I'd, I'd got to this stage when really I, I needed, I needed to take a break. I definitely needed to take a break from that. I was doing my finals at uni at the same time. So I just needed to, to step back. So I think, yeah, lots of, lots of tensions really from the inside. You don't always see them from the outside, I don't think, but from the inside, lots of, lots of little, little bits and bobs going on. I know from the outside, it always looked like it looked like everybody was having a great time, a great party, and we're just having, well, you know, just living the dream. But um, obviously, you start to sort of realise it was probably a lot harder than it appeared. And um, from doing this show, it definitely looks like that. Anyway, this is David Eastall, the C eighty six show, and this is the second part of my interview with Anne Murray Davis from the band. When I talked about the grueling world that is touring, because um, most people, it's not the moment on stage; it's normally the moments between getting on stage and they can finish most people off. There were times when it was it was just just absolutely shattering and and the venues we were playing some of them were not so great in terms of sound quality and 
that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know if you know about when we played um, the Richmond Tavern in Brighton one time and we we hadn't really been that keen on playing because we played there before and the sound wasn't great. And we literally, we just couldn't hear each other on stage, you know, and it, it, it's so frustrating because you just know you're not doing a good job. You're not, not quite doing what you really have rehearsed to do. And, um, and yeah, and in the end, um, Mark pushed his drum kit off the stage. Bobby smashed up his guitar. I mean, yeah, maybe we're more like Motorhead than you thought, actually. <laughs> maybe there are, you know, maybe a bit more rock and roll than you'd expect. And um, and then we sort of limped off stage a bit sheepishly afterwards. But it was <laughs> really just a teenage strop. It was just like, you know what? We're just fed up of this. This is just, this is really, you know. So it is really, it is really hard work in, in places. Um, yes. You know, so... Yeah, that was that was an interesting night. And then the following day, Bobby was a bit like, oh, I want my guitar back. So we went back up there, knocked on the door and went, I don't suppose you've got the bits of the guitar that carried it back up to Croydon. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there were definitely tensions that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just one night in Glasgow. We decided it wasn't going to happen anymore. There had been some things building. Yes. Well, the other thing that slightly seems to sort of be another sort of problem is is the sort of admin and also the management and the record company. So how did how did the field mice cope with those dynamics? Yeah, well, as you probably know, Sarah Records did things very differently. And and most of that was brilliant, really, really in everybody's favour. You know, there were no contracts. We never signed a contract. Everything was just sort of 50 50. So we were, um, you know, we were allowed to record stuff, but they had a big say in what went out. Um, And then after the costs had all been sorted out, the money was split 50, you know, 50 percent for the band, 50 percent for the label, Um, which which worked absolutely fine. But um, I think the thing about Sarah, I hope Claire and Matt don't mind me talking on their behalf, but I think the thing with them is they they had quite a clear idea of what they were aiming to do and what they were aiming to release. And when bands, you know, went into the studio and recorded something, which obviously they weren't always there to say yay or nay at that point, and then we would hand over the recordings, if that didn't fit in with their idea, then there was the tension because then of course the money's been spent and you know so for example when when we recorded missing the moon there was no way missing the moon was going to fit on a seven inch single it just never ever going to fit on seven inches you know it was too long and would have if if they had been able to press it would have sounded awful but of course sarah was very anti you know moving into the 12 inch single phase so we had an agreement okay we'll do it but we'll sell it at seven inch price even though we'll do it at at 12 you know it has to be a 12 inch and that was our compromise but because sometimes I think when things are not written down when there's not a contract again this is my older wiser much more boring (laughs) self oh my goodness now yeah then I just think you know get the agreement really clear first and you have fewer arguments later wow Um, but that does make me sound a bit a bit boring really oh. <laughs> it's just you know just hindsight and uh, and the world I now live in I suppose it's uh you know but at, at the same time it, it was very very lovely to not have the you know the 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 big record company style breathing down your neck and needing profit profit all the time that yes. was that wasn't really the the main the main aim of the label so Yes. Well, it's interesting you say that because I haven't been involved in quite a few things and organised things. 
My, I suppose I always got to the conclusion where I'd say, well, don't do anything until you've got your accountant and solicitor all sorted out because... Yes, exactly. <laughs> we were a million miles away from ever having a solicitor on board. That just, it just wasn't what we were about at all. Yes. No way. So and, uh, it had to therefore be, do, be done by daily negotiation, which, which can be tough on relationships when... It's good when it all goes well and everybody agrees, but then when the slightest thing is a disagreement it it makes it more tricky mm, I know it's um it's it's funny being old isn't it and having those kind of oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then did was there a moment when everyone decided to call it a day uh no not exactly it didn't exactly work like that I mean as I said you know there were the tensions I was thinking I can't really do this anymore actually I don't know if I was brave enough at that point to even think those thoughts but I remember Harvey saying to me one night as I was very unwell before we went on stage he was like you really don't have to do this you know and I thought you know what I don't do I I really don't have to make myself sick two or three times a week that would be crazy um so um, so I was thinking maybe I need to, they need to find a replacement for me. That's really where I was going. Um, but we were, we were talking also at the same time about maybe looking for a larger label. We felt like, you know, certainly some of the members of the band were feeling we were on the cusp of something bigger. We were getting a lot of people coming to the gigs and there was quite a buzz whenever we released anything, you know, indie charts and whatever else. Um, and so we had this meeting in Glasgow to discuss, should we stay with Sarah? Should we not? And so on. And then um, I would say out of the blue, because bearing in mind, I was in a relationship with Bobby at the time. I had no idea this was coming. He just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And there was a sort of stony silence. Sarah, did Bobby just say that? You know, this. And he said, I don't want to do it anymore. And I, and then I was thinking, is this because of me? And then, uh, then it all got a bit upsetting. Um, you know, different people reacted in different ways, but it it wasn't an easy night, and it certainly wasn't an easy trip back down to London. Um, I don't even think we all travelled back in the same in the same van at the end of the day. But so no, there there wasn't really a sense that it was going to to end and it wasn't wasn't really a um um a decision that everybody had made but obviously without bobby there really wasn't any feel there was no band because oh. he he wrote everything he you know he he and michael were the absolute founding members i mean i think i think certainly i could have been replaced you know, Mark and Harvey maybe maybe less so, but I just don't think that there would be there would never be a field mice without Bobby. There is a lot to digest, and I will test you at the end of this, so I hope you're paying attention. There you go. That's Anne Mari Davis from the Field Mice and the Northern Picture Library. This is David Eastall on the C eighty six show. I will just tell you how to uh, to contact me if you want to. You can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C eighty six show, and I'll be there, and that will be marvelous. Anyway, look, I realise there's one. One part more part of this interview to go and um, it's still as gripping as ever so I will play that and then we'll play another song to leave you on a high and this is that bit about um, it's a personal thing I suppose about sort of bands and friendships and um, even though it's um, occasionally mentions of bands reforming I always think that um, reforming isn't always the great idea but you would like to think that they might all still be vaguely friendly together so this is that uh, point where I, I ask um, Anne-Marie what, what the relationship is like with the band now 
Um, well, I mean, various guises. We meet up with each other. You know, I, I still see quite a lot of, of Bobby um, and his whole family because I lived with him and his family for several years. So, you know, they're like a second family to me. Um, we And I see Mark quite a bit. Mark comes down to Brighton. We go out for a bit of a jolly from time to time. Michael's living in France, but if if we're ever in the same city, we'll meet up. I saw Harvey at the Pop Kiss book launch a couple of months ago, but I haven't seen him in ages. That was quite exciting. Yes. And then, of course, there's always Facebook, isn't there? There's always there's always <laughs> lovely social media. So we're you know you know there's there's no there's no hard feelings. It's um it's yeah it it's but. I just don't think we're going to be all in a room creating things together again. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, I've been really lucky that I've been able to do some singing with Bobby and his various guises over the last few years. I don't do much, but, you know, he occasionally says, would you like to come into the studio? And I jump at the chance because I love it. I just absolutely love it. Um, but um, But as a band, I don't think we're going to be, no, we're not going to be reforming no matter what the tempting offers are that, that are sometimes put under our nose. And did you feel kind of part of a scene at the time? Oh, yes. I, I think I think you couldn't help it, really, because actually the, the title of Sarah Records almost came before the band in it. You know, it's like it's here's a Sarah Records band, the film mice. That was quite often the way the way things are portrayed. And they and, and they still are. You know, that's. It, you're part of the part of the Sarah scene, part of the part of the indie scene, yes, but a very specific genre of the of the indie scene as as well. Because I suppose with a lot of the C eighty six bands at the time, they sort of didn't want to be on it, and some decided you know <laughs> to say no to it, like the June Brides, and then regret it afterwards. But and most bands yeah. who were on it sort of didn't want to be part of it. But obviously now I think, oh thank God I was on it. So um, I suppose with Sarah Records, it was a bit more of a it did feel a bit more like a um, a gang, didn't it? Yes, it yes it did. But there was yeah. Sometimes when you know, because Bobby's music is is re, yeah, it's um, eclectic. I would say you know, it's not just that that style that you would associate with the with the genre before you listen to it. So the preconceptions of it being jangly indie pop go before the the actual reality of it and you know some of some of the stuff is he likes a good pop song he likes to write a good jangly pop song but actually there is so much more to it than that and you can be you can be put into this tiny box which doesn't allow you then I mean like I said you know when we went to a five piece some people absolutely hated that it wasn't it wasn't what it was before you know and it it's like to to be to for the fans to want you to reproduce the same stuff or stuff that sounds a bit more Sarah or stuff that sounds a bit more C eighty six is quite frustrating. Quite you know, it's quite liberating really to to be free of that. Yes, absolutely. So. And how did you cope? Because obviously you were saying that um, things were getting difficult um, towards the end of you know playing live and and other emotional stuff. How did you cope post Sarah? I know you went into another band for a while, didn't you? But um, yeah. I mean, how did things sort of settle down, or sort of, or you, you know, how did you deal with those sort of aspects? 
not well. I think is the, the the short. Yeah, not well. I was I was not in a good place. So on a person, you know, if you talk about me personally, or if it, if it's the whole band, I probably can't speak for them to be honest. But um, I yeah, I wasn't I wasn't in a very good place emotionally, um, mentally really. I needed I needed a lot of of time to to get myself sorted from from the anxiety problems I had. Um, and yeah, I, so Bobby and I were with Mark, we were doing some recording and we, we released quite a lot of stuff as Northern Picture Library. Um, but unfortunately, Bobby and mine's relationship didn't, didn't continue. It was, it wasn't going to continue. So that's, I needed to move on from that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, a lot of it is documented in the the, the lyrics to the records um and uh, the the first album of the trembling blue stars etc um and that was a very peculiar time because it was it was entirely my life every everything the band and him they that was my life and I had to sort of rebuild from scratch a little bit um and it was very strange listening to his side of the story on the records and you know um, I mean, I've, I've said this before in, in other interviews, so apologies if anybody's heard it before, but it is it's kind of frustrating sometimes when um, you, yeah, of course, everybody wants to have a song written about them. That's really ace. But then when you can't put your side of the story across, it's it, it can be a little bit frustrating as well. Yes, absolutely. So uh, because there are two sides to every story. Now, you know, obviously we're still very, very dear friends. So I, I don't, you know, I don't, hold any grudges and I hope he doesn't either but a breakup of an intense relationship like that is going to be difficult um so it it was a difficult time but but uh and it, for me it was sort of rebuilding from yeah from scratch really um rebuilding you know where I was living my friendships and um standing on my own two feet for a job and all of those things you know so it was it was quite a um a big change for me Absolutely. Yes. Well, you know, sort of, God, it does sound quite intense, actually. And what, so mm. what, what, so what would you say to your 18 year old self that was kind of starting out in music? Oh, goodness. What would I say? I would say, um, I would say, protect yourself, take care of yourself. You know, there's, there's, there are so many angles to that. There's at 18, I think, um, you're so open to emotional change and yeah it can be really traumatic and really vulnerable you're you're very vulnerable to that um you you know you can't envisage yourself being 10 years older and wiser 20 years older and wiser you just can't you are completely in the moment it's a real transition I think I think almost almost like the the one that you go through at the age of 12 you go through another one around the age of 18 when you're you're becoming a grown woman, you know, an independent woman, independent of your, your family and your mother and everything. And, and I think that's, that's quite a vulnerable time. So if I was going, if I was looking at somebody going to the music industry, I would, I would say, take care of yourself on, on lots of levels. Um, you're also in a, in an environment that's, um, it's just a lot of high emotions. I mean, you've got adrenaline going on, Every time you go on stage, you have to have that adrenaline. And and I think those peaks and troughs of adrenaline, I'm not entirely sure that they're good for anybody. But um, if you're also going through emotional change as well, then you, I just think there's a little bit of self-care needed. 
Yes. That's probably what I would say. <laughs> but don't, but not don't do it. You know, don't, don't stop yourself from doing it. But just just take care of yourself. Yeah. Very wise words indeed. That is the last part of my interview with Anne-Marie Davis. And as I probably said endlessly throughout the show, from the Field Mice and also from the Northern Picture Library. So thank you ever so much for giving me the time for that interview. Much appreciated and your amazing honesty. That, sadly, dear listener, is the end of the show. But thank you ever so much for listening. I will be back next week for another exciting C86 show. But... I should leave you with one more song and um, now we're all feeling rather melancholic and sensitive as well as inward looking. What a great combination of emotions at the end of the winter. This is a track called If You Need Someone.
Yes, and they 